You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning once again. Um, I'm not the face you probably expect to see up here this morning. Brad was really hoping to, uh, to feel well enough to continue preaching through 1 Corinthians. We've been in a series, if, if you're um, just joining us, uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're near the end. We're, we've lo- looked at the good news. What is that good news of, of Jesus crucified for us and risen again according to the Scriptures? But unfortunately, he wasn't feeling well this week, and um, I was able to to step in as one of the elders. My name is Neil Manning, and it's, it's great to say one of the elders, because even before stepping up here this morning, it's encouraging to know that I've already been covered in prayer by many of you, and um, and I think we all need it. We all have, it's been beautiful to see, even this morning, we have all participated in contributing to the life of the body here at Grace, and it's just encouraging to see how everyone has a role to play, and this morning... I happen to be, uh, that role for me happens to be bringing the Word, and it is a very weighty privilege to do that, to bring God's Word to the church to you this morning. And it's already been a very full weekend, so if, you, if I start nodding off or mumbling through my script, just come up, someone can finish the, the sermon for me. The jokes will probably be funnier coming from you anyway. Um, <clears throat> But I do want to share this morning from, it's been something that the Lord has continually over the years been impressing on, on my heart, and, and it's come to the forefront even more so recently. Um, and I actually spoke on this passage, we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 9 this morning. I spoke on it a few months ago at my parents' church. And this morning gives me the opportunity to take what was a 10-minute devotion into an hour and 10-minute sermon. So this is a wonderful opportunity. Um, You're laughing, but the funny part is the ones in the back think I'm joking. But don't worry, we'll get you out of here in in time for the, the second service to come in and join us for the second half. But I, I want to start this morning... Uh, with a little bit of interaction, don't be afraid to raise your hand <clears throat> to these questions. You don't have to, but uh, if you can, you, you're more than welcome to. A question for you. Do you have a life verse? Do you know what I'm talking about? A, a verse that um, has impacted you so much that it has maybe changed the direction of your life? Something that, uh, a passage that is very near and dear to you. Does anybody have at one time what could be called a life verse? I see a few hands. Very good. Okay, again, you don't have to call this out, but you're more than welcome to. I would love to hear from anyone what your life verse. If you still remember it, does anybody want to share it with us? Micah 6, 8. Amen. Walk humbly with the Lord our God. Anyone else? That's the, the verse that prompted your conversion, right? Amen. 
Anybody else? Amen. Excellent. Anybody else? You may know uh, these verses. If you do, finish them out loud with me. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven has been one for many people. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Has anybody had uh, Philippians four thirteen? I can do all things, what? Through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, and this is probably everyone's favorite. How about Luke 9.54? Any takers for Luke 9.54? Uh, nobody's calling out. Do you even know what Luke 9.54 is? Um, maybe you'll recall when James and John come to Jesus and they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on this entire town? Is that anybody's? No, I, I never get any takers for that. Interesting. But now that you're thinking about it, you're probably wondering, well, when I sit in traffic in Andrew and Fuquay, maybe that has been my life verse. I never knew it until now. <clears throat> well, although I've not ever quite been zealous enough to call down fire on an entire town because they mistreated me or didn't welcome me, that sentiment kind of hits a little close to home. It's moving into my neighborhood. That verse about James and John that we chuckle at and kind of shake our heads, what were they thinking? That may represent a few days or perhaps a few weeks. It only comes a few verses after the parallel passage that we're going to look at this morning, Luke 9 as well as Mark 9. We're going to be in verses 38 through 40. So that could be a few days. It could have been a few weeks, but Jesus had to repeat this same teaching to them, probably on more than just these, these two occasions. So it seems that zeal without grace and not letting God do what God wants, wants was a habit the disciples had during Jesus' earthly ministry. What we will look at this morning is just one of the many things the Lord has been teaching me for a long time. My hard case, it takes a while for these lessons to sink in. And that's one of the benefits of filling in on a Sunday morning is the break from the normal series of going through chapter by chapter is we get to look at uh, a particular subject. And when we do, or if we do that well, it will naturally cause us to pull in from other passages of Scripture to see what it is that all of Scripture that God is telling us from His entire Word. The downside is you have, have to listen to what God has been putting on my mind. But I think, regardless of what age or life stage you may be in, if you listen hard enough, I think, no, I'm, I'm sure that God will have something to put on your mind as well. Would you stand with me for prayer and then the reading of our text, Mark 9, 38 through 40. Father, thank you for calling us to yourself and for gathering us together this morning. May my words fall by the wayside so that your words would be highlighted and uh, stick in our minds. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have for us from your word. Give us humble hearts and hands ready to obey. We ask humbly and gratefully 
lift these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mark 9, 38 through 40. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, and be seated. When God starts to impress a lesson on your mind and on your heart, do you start to see it everywhere? You probably know what I'm talking about. When someone mentions to you something about being patient, do you all of a sudden start seeing messages about patience everywhere? On the social media feed, on everyone's Twitter post, uh, Twitter stream, it says, love is patient. And then when you go to Hobby Lobby, all the knickknacks on the shelves have the fruit of the Spirit, and patience is bolded, italicized, and underlined just for you. And then on your way home in traffic, you get cut off by some punk kid speeding away, and as you try to catch his license plate, you see in the back window, be patient, student driver. Dad of a soon-to-be student driver here, he better pray I have patience. So that's the way this passage has been for me, growing in my thoughts year by year, and even more so recently. Uh, Perhaps God knew just what he was doing when he had me speak today, especially when we look at the aftermath of speaking the the mini-series, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, about spiritual gifts. That can cause controversy, it can cause self-righteousness, it can close off our thinking to our fellow believers. What about after the events of, of Asbury, the, the prayers and possible revival that was going on there? Brings a lot of questions, uh, but this will make a little more sense, I hope, as we look at some of the principles from the passage this morning. One of the great benefits that I received a few years ago when we studied church history here, and those uh, teachings are still online on the webpage if you want to go back and listen to, um, I forget how many classes we did, but we looked at uh, the church history from the very beginning on, on up to modern day, the lesson that stood out for me is that I can extend grace to these sinner saints who did not believe just like I believe, but yet who God used mightily to affect his church throughout history. It causes me to maybe pause and consider being a little more humble. We may have differences of opinion on certain doctrines, but that doesn't mean God cannot use us. I shouldn't automatically assume that that person who differs with me is the one who's wrong. Maybe neither of us are wrong. Maybe the Lord said there are ways of understanding this that will fit into to my plan. So what's going on in this passage, Mark 9? Jesus and his disciples are traveling, 
And some of them discover this guy casting out demons, and he's doing it just like they were taught in Jesus' name. Not like the sons of Siva that you probably remember in Acts who tried to invoke the name of Jesus when casting out a devil, and, and they got whooped by the, the demon-possessed man. This guy, on the other hand, appears to be genuine, a follower of Christ, but not a follower in their inner circle. Then why in the world would the next words out of their mouths be, and we tried to stop him? Oh, that's because he's not in our group. Oh, that explains everything. He's not in our circle. How could God possibly use him? So while we're busy wagging our fingers at, at John and the disciples, his reasoning, for me anyway, hits a little close to home. Do I really have to state the obvious? Has anyone else ever felt self-righteous? Tried to justify your position so you can feel like maybe you got it and this other guy, just he just doesn't get it. <clears throat> so Jesus here essentially says what Paul said uh, that we looked at probably a few months ago, or I'm sorry, a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that no one speaking in the, in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So let God be the one who looks at, the, looks at and deals with the heart. We can only look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So that lesson seems simple enough and obvious to us now. And to make sure I didn't misunderstand, I went searching through Scripture. Did I get this right? Are there other instances where this same principle of extending grace to a fellow follower of God, a fellow believer, um, was that also made clear in, in other portions of Scripture? And I found that it was. It was very similar eerily similar to what happened to Moses and Joshua. If you remember back in Numbers 11, it's not one you hear about very often, but in your, uh, your yearly read-through, I'm sure you're going to hit it. Numbers 11, uh, beginning in verses 16 and 17, says this, that Yahweh said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who were known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. So God is the one who sets this up. He's helping Moses with the burden of caring for the entire nation judging their issues, making decisions. And he says he's going to put his spirit on 70 other elders that are supposed to meet with him at the tabernacle. But look what happens next in verses 25 through 29. Then Yahweh came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. This is where it gets interesting. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. Remember, they were supposed to go to the tabernacle. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. 
a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, son of Nun, you know Joshua, he's the one who was one of the two faithful spies in the land. He uh, led Israel across uh, the Jordan into the promised land. And here he is described as having been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Stop them? Really, Joshua? Did you just hear what happened? That God put his spirit on these men, and they are actually speaking words from God, and you want to stop them? So Joshua here, I think, his zeal perhaps for Moses, extended beyond his knowledge of what God was doing. So Moses, with more grace than I could, I could muster, says, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And thank God that's what he does, is put his spirit in all those who trust in Christ. So what principles can we gain from these passages? What truths should we take away from these episodes? It may help if I take this time to look at the wording of the title of this sermon, which I entitled, Zeal, Grace, and Letting God Be God. So what is zeal? He was zealous. Sounds like jealous, right? The zeal of the Lord will perform this. Or how about Simon the zealot? It's a great desire or energy, enthusiasm that stirs one's passions for a thing, usually a cause. It's what drives you to a goal. Zeal can be good or bad, depending on what that goal is and how it's exercised or expressed. Did John and his disciples have zeal for Jesus in his ministry? Yes, absolutely. Did Joshua have zeal for Moses and to see the elders obey God's command? Absolutely, he did. Were they sincere and have good motives? I believe they were sincere. They were serving the Lord. Their motives were as good as they could evaluate at the time. Did their zeal extend beyond their knowledge of what God was doing? Beyond their love of God and neighbor? It did that too. Did their zeal serve well the cause of God? It seems like they were actually working against what God was doing. And this is astounding. Joshua, John, and the disciples, these guys walked with Jesus for years, and they were fighting against what God was doing. It, that's not news, is it? If we remember Peter constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. Romans 12 is a passage similar to what we have recently studied in 1 Corinthians concerning spiritual gifts. And that just is one area of, that we can use an example. I'm sure you could think of other examples that we may differ with uh, another believer. It could be a believer who's sitting right next to you here at Grace. It could be another church, another denomination. They do things a little differently there. Um, spiritual gifts is just one of those examples. Uh, in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul tells us to exercise spiritual gifts with zeal. Paul tells Titus that God's people are to be zealous for good works. So we are to have zeal. 
We are to have enthusiasm for the things of Christ, but to have it complemented with knowledge, with love, with grace. So how about grace? Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. 1 Peter, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Some of our youth should know this. Yet do this with what? Gentleness and respect. And ones my kids have memorized from Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We are definitely to extend grace freely as we have received it. But grace, like love in our current society, can be misunderstood, misused, and turned into license. And by that I mean used to give someone liberty to do the things that God's Word says they ought not do. So grace needs to be tethered to the reality of who God is. Let God be the goal of your zeal. Let him also be the source of our grace. If you're falling asleep, wake up for this. If we are to proclaim God's message of grace, the least we can do is proclaim it with grace. Think about that a moment. If we are claiming to have received and believed this message of grace and it's our charge to proclaim it to the world, the least we can do is extend it, to proclaim it with that same grace. Okay, I'm sure your mind is already working. The Lord is showing you how we might apply these things. But here are some points of implication to consider, maybe some areas of application. First, you don't want to be found opposing the work of God. If you remember in Acts 5, the name Gamaliel, he was part of the council, the Sanhedrin, a teacher of the law, and he brought some reason to the Sanhedrin's judgment of what the apostles were doing after Christ's ascension and their, their work began in Jerusalem. He told them, let them alone, for if this plan is of the undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. In all these passages, and especially in our text in Mark, the focus has been on us as Christians to use godly wisdom and extend grace to other Christians. Yes, we need to extend grace to, to those we are speaking who are not yet believers, but I'm talking about those who we hold a common faith, a like faith. We hold to the same essentials, the fundamentals of what constitutes a Christ follower that distinguishes Christians from every other religion in the world. But yet, we differ on these secondary and sometimes third-level issues that are important but need not divide us as Christians. Consider the controversy that can easily erupt around spiritual gifts, tongues, healings, prophecy, and the like. As we study, we will grow, 
and form opinions and understandings about what the Bible teaches. But when we meet other Christians who may be of a different conviction, perhaps even here at Grace, who has, who has also faithfully studied God's Word, who holds it in high regard and sincerely seeks to honor God with their lives, but they come to a different conclusion. We should not write them off as being unfaithful or simply wrong, ignorant. Our automatic thought should not be that they're the ones that are wrong. Let's be humble enough to at least hear them out and see why, from Scripture, they believe what they believe. Be like the Bereans who took even the words of Paul back to Scripture. Is this what really God was saying? And then the question of Asbury, Kentucky, just a few weeks ago, was it revival or emotional soft-peddling on moral matters? People land all over the spectrum, and oftentimes they land there without really knowing anything about what's going on. So rather than letting our zeal speak ignorantly about this or other things, how about we extend humble grace to pray that whatever the Lord was doing, whatever He had started there, that He would find fertile soil that he would produce lasting fruit. Otherwise, we might be opposing what the Lord is blessing. Let's remember to heap a healthy dose of humility on a situation before we speak out of ignorance. I do not know that this is a danger here at Grace. I'm not aware of issues arising. I was just sharing with you this morning what the Lord has been laying on my heart, and I trust that there is something here for you as well. I hope that the reminder is one that saves you from, from being a stumbling block to someone else. Next, God blesses gospel ministry despite the differences of doctrine. And this is the secondary, tertiary matters of gospel ministers. This one is one of my favorite points. It really drives the point home for me, anyway. The example I will give is a dialogue between two theologians whom I respect. Uh, I've gained from their ministries. I don't agree completely with either one of them, and I would say if you have someone that you listen to that you, com- that you agree with completely, come see me, because I've got to hear this. <laughs> we might need to, to talk, and I'll be willing to listen to who that may be. But this is a, uh, a conversation on a podcast that I listen to called Unbelievable with Justin Brierley, and he hosts dialogues, more of a dialogue than a debate, And this one was between Michael Brown and Doug Wilson, and they were discussing whether certain miraculous spiritual gifts continue today. And rather than a debate, they exemplified very well how to respectfully disagree in dialogue. So at the end of this discussion, they still disagreed, but they did so in an agreeable manner. In the back of my head, though, I was wondering, yeah, but who's right? We should pursue excellence in truth. We want to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Both ministries, Brown and Wilson, are a blessing to many believers, establishing them in truth, in the truth of Christ, and encouraging Christ-like living. The point here, though, is the point that we should have learned also from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, that Paul was telling us not to see who was right, 
about this or that gift, but how we can love God and love each other. Use our gifts for the good and the love and the benefit of the body. These guys showed me that we can still hold our convictions where they are based in biblical truth. And even though we believe another Christian's view may be in error, that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Has anybody ever heard that before? And the first time I heard that, wow. Okay. I'm looking at the other guy as the crooked stick. Okay, yeah, God can use him. What about me? I'm a crooked stick too. I don't know always where that crook is in, in me, but the Lord can use me. I know he can use you. I know he can use others. That's not an excuse to, be, to remain crooked, but simply a recognition of God's grace, his patience, and power, and a reminder to pray for God to bless the work of this other person, this other minister, this other believer. Next, learn patience with God because sanctification is on his timetable. Patience with God. That sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Isn't God the one who has patience with me? Aren't I the one who has, who's crooked, who have the faults? That's exactly the point, isn't it? If everything he does is right, if I'm the one who is not omniscient, I'm the one who has faults, maybe I should trust him. Trust that he is working, not just to sanctify me, but to sanctify this other believer as well. My, my brother and my sister, they may be struggling with an area. Maybe the Lord is teaching them something, but it's completely different from what he's teaching me. And it's on a completely different timeline. God can use me to sharpen him, and God will use him to sharpen me. But it's not my task to change the heart. God may use us as instruments when he sets to the task of sanctification in someone's life. Through teaching, we mature in the knowledge of Christ. Through living examples, we see how we ought to love others. Proverbs tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that we should stir each other up to love and good works from Hebrews 10. But that requires us to let God be God. He works to mold us into Christ-likeness in his timetable. He may be working on an area of a, that brother's life that is different than a different struggle than he is in pruning you. But he knows what he's doing. Paul reminds us in Romans 14.4 that we do not judge the servant of another. If we serve the same master, it's not my job to demand an accounting from you. Leave that to the master. God has ways and times of doing that. Next, critical thinking, not a critical spirit, not compromise. Someone may misunderstand what I'm saying this morning and think that I'm suggesting you can compromise our beliefs. Everything is an open hand issue. You don't have to hold anything. And then we'll just join this wishy-washy circle of regressive theology, not progressive, by the way. 
and then we'll all sit around the campfire singing kumbaya. No, that's not it at all. When I challenge you to listen to Christians who faithfully believe the word yet have a different conviction or worship differently than you, it's not so that you can let go of your convictions. Compromise, though, is a valid concern. If we lose our grip of Christ in the scripture, we could drift from the essentials and embrace a regressive religion. I'm not saying to do that. The disciples found this man casting out demons who appeared to be a genuine follower of Jesus, but who was not in their little circle. Christ's sheepfold is bigger than your little circle. And yet he still fences them in. There are still boundaries. We should get to know the sheep in the fold. But that means stepping outside our little circle. Don't step outside the boundaries that Christ has for your protection. So rather than compromise, I found that daring to hear out a fellow believer actually serves to sharpen my critical thinking. No longer am I deciding based on my experience or my tradition. Instead, like the Bereans, I'm weighing what they say against Scripture. Is it true? Or does Scripture at least leave that door open that we can disagree and both be faithful believers? You don't have to change your mind about a topic, but it helps It does help you love your brother and sister if you know why they believe what they believe. Finally, learn to listen with your head, your heart, and your hands. Some of you are just waking up from your nap because what I've been talking about is kind of, it's more aimed at your head, what you believe, what you know, statements that you can articulate. Um, you just you just want to go home, ready for lunch, maybe watch the big game this afternoon. Um, maybe this, what I've been talking about is not your cup of tea, it's not your area of interest, and I can sympathize. I understand, I, I, but I hope I haven't lost you, because this part, at least, is for you, so pay attention. I'm sure that many of you, like me, have discovered for a long time now that God has placed us all somewhere on the spectrum leaning either towards the more thinking intellectual side or on the other end, the more feeling and doing side. And thankfully, we are all mixtures in between. Can I challenge those of you who are more at home as thinkers to find someone, perhaps here at Grace, perhaps elsewhere, who is more of a feeler or a doer, whose walk with the Lord is strong but yet different from yours? Seek out someone whose experience, uh, who's experiences their walk with God differently than you. See them not as a lesser Christian because they may not be able to articulate a certain doctrine the way you can, but rather as someone whom you can learn from and more deeply appreciate your walk with God. Can I challenge those of you who are more at home with the pathos or action? Can I challenge you to find someone who spends time considering the details of Scripture's words 
It's grammar. It's syntax. And how all these teachings throughout Scripture come together. Be humble enough to listen to someone who may be able to instruct with some biblical insight. We know we need to study the the Bible as good workmen becoming wise as serpents until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. This is because God uses what is in the mind to affect and direct the passions, the passions of the heart. So if you came here this morning and are considering the claims of Jesus, not yet convinced, and all you heard was that uh, you you were right. Christians are just exclusivist bigots, always making it about us versus them. Uh, I hope you've paid closer attention to see that that's not the case here. We are a messed up bunch of people, but our Savior is so much bigger. Any exclusion is not from our doing or should not be from us, but comes from the fact that truth itself, by definition, is, is exclusive. And Jesus said that he is the truth. And it is because he first loved us that we are now able to love him and each other. I hope you discover his gracious love and come to respond in repentance and faith. I suppose the point we could all take away from Mark 9, 34 to 40 could be summed up in one verse. And you're thinking, okay, great. You spent all this time. You could have just told me one verse to sum it up. 1 John 4, 20. You got to love 1 John. There's so much there. If anyone says, I love God, And hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Learn to love God by loving your brother, your sister. And I'll leave you with this one final example. Since this sermon has come from my own experience, I will tell you of a friend who taught me some lessons. Today, one of the, we have a good friend, we have good friends of Myra and me, who's burying a wife, a mother, a friend. Deborah exuded the joy of the Lord and was the prime example, exemplifying reaching out with grace. As we sat yesterday, listening and watching to the service Teary-eyed, we were nodding along with every word that everyone spoke about how much she impacted everyone's life for good. They, we, all felt loved by Deborah. And the point of her life that was highlighted was that there was a day that she fell in love with Jesus. And from that day, She lived in that love. If we were to listen to the preaching of the unchristian culture today, we would never have learned from each other. Deborah and I were of two different generations, two different sexes, different melanin count, 
We had different backgrounds growing up, different experiences. Our worship style was a little different. And I bet if we sat long enough, we would find things to disagree on. Not only were we brought into the family of God together to worship the same Lord, Jesus brought our families together from time to time over the years to bless one another. So from her, I have learned to genuinely smile in the face of adversity. To be sensitive to the needs of others and to seek out ways to help them and to be a blessing. That doesn't come easily or naturally to me. I don't know if it comes naturally to anyone. That we don't have to get upset when it seems like our kids are dancing on our last nerve. You don't have to go there. How to love and parent a family with both biological and adoptive kids. And one day, I hope to put into practice the lesson that she taught of how to die well. How to finish a good race. I pray that we can all balance zeal with grace and trust God as he works in us, just as Deborah did. I'm a work in progress. I'm also grateful for all the Christians that are not like me that God put in my life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, the truth and principles that we can glean. The examples of your work in the lives of believers throughout history and even among us here today. I pray that we would be humble, and that's not of our own making. We invite you, Lord, to humble our hearts, to bless us with your grace so that we may extend grace. Continue to be zealous, but add to it knowledge, love, grace, patience. Lord, if there was anything here that was not from you, I pray that it would be forgotten and that your word would remain. It would prick our hearts, stir us to love and good works. Bless us as we seek to honor you in word and deed today and throughout this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.